This is Postcards from Grafton. We are exploring the most fascinating people and places in our community and everything in between. We are your hosts, Carrie Mariner and Fred Backstrom, librarians and historians at the Grafton Midview Public Library. This podcast is made possible by the Grafton Village History Association. Today, we are talking with Renee Durkee Atkinson about her family farm and her life in Eaton Township. I'm so jealous of her. She's an amazing person. Yeah, I kind of am a little bit as well. Her kind of breadth of knowledge and talent is sort of amazing when it really comes down to it. And, you know, we're really lucky to have somebody that's that passionate about the area, about the history, about art and writing. And, you know, we're lucky to have her here. Absolutely. To share. You know, she has done quite a bit. She's a published author, a talented artist. Her family's been in Eaton Township for a couple centuries almost at this point. And she does so much work with the Butternut Ridge Cemetery and mm-hmm. making sure that veterans are honored. It's kind of an amazing job. Yeah. Honestly, so we're, we're lucky to speak with her today, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> Our history matters. Our community matters. Enjoy the stories. Well, hello, Renee. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Uh, thank you for having me. I would love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners. Uh, my name is uh, Renee Durkee Atkinson. I live in Eaton Township, and uh, I'm sixth generation uh, to be born on my family's farm on Durkee Road, which is named after my great-great-great-grandfather who made the road. And I love local history, mm-hmm. and I'm an artist and a writer. All sorts of things. A, rena- a renaissance woman. I've been told that before, <laughs> but I, I just feel like I'm me. Yeah, we all <laughs> runs around in the fields. <laughs> <laughs> but sixth generation, that's a long, long time. Yes, yeah, it's a long time mm-hmm. and um, uh, a lot of pride in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also very humbling to try to hold on to it, too. It's, very, it's getting harder and harder to hold on to, to the land in this area. Yeah. It's yeah. very de- getting quickly developed. We're getting squished out. Sure seems that way, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We're uh, become like a basically an island right now, mm-hmm. surrounded by development. So, it's very difficult to continue as a farm in a well, I guess you'd call it a suburban situation. You know? I suppose it's getting there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's you know, slowly but surely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen it in the last mere sixteen years, as opposed to yes, yeah. What, 180 years? Almost 200 years? Um, yeah. They came here first, 1832. 32, so settled in. in 34, and 1834, and in a cabin, 18 by 24 cabin, <laughs> without a window. Can you imagine living like oh, that? Oh, goodness. For no window. over almost two years, by they mm-hmm. cleared land and made the road, and it's like, wow. It's, it's a task. It's, yeah. I mean, they're, they're pioneers. <laughs> yeah, and I think, like, one you one of the things is I think that why we we need to look backwards sometimes mm-hmm. um, is because you can draw strength from those people. If they can do this, then I can do it. Such as the Spanish flu. Yeah. If they can do it, then we can do it. You know, and that's why I think history is important. Yeah, it's valuable. The, yeah, yes, it and is. It's, it's, it's a, a lesson day. learned. You know. Oh yeah. It, which not too many. You know, yeah, they've, they've done it already. Takes that let's let's looks, learn from them. Yeah, you don't learn from it. <laughs> you can see things repeating over and over again. <laughs> Do you know what brought them 
to the area? Well, my grandfather was, um, his mother died, my, well, be my great-great-great-grandfather. Mm-hmm. His mother died when he was very young, and he mm-hmm. was put in with an aunt and an uncle. Mm-hmm. So when he was 16, he went to work on the canals in New England. Oh. And, uh, and then he, because he had no, really, I guess you could say he didn't have roots, even though we had really deep roots in, in you know, Vermont and mm-hmm. Connecticut. He, uh, he, what did he have to lose? So he mm-hmm. went to, to New York then and got a job as a, uh, a farmhand, and there that's where he met his future wife, because now he's like getting around 20 years old, mm-hmm. and I guess he just decided his is the, Ohio's a new frontier, and his father-in-law had been here two years, like, uh, like you know, before 1832, checked it out and said, hey, maybe we should start a new life, and so they hmm. all picked up, basically, my grandfather first, and then he was followed by his in-laws, and that's where they settled, the, where we're at right now. Where you are right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the yeah. whole time right now. And it basically, it's because farming. Mm. We've always been farmers, always been farmers, generations mm. back. Mm. And it's the farm, my grandfather used to say, uh, all going way back, you know, like I said, even in New England, turkeys always had sheep and horses. <laughs> that was their main thing, was sheep and horses. And, and, nine, and um, my last horse died in 2000, December 2007, and it's, this is the first time there's been no horses on the farm so it's kind of sad mm. especially after such a long yeah like, after a long run and b- yeah. believe me I would love to have horses but mm-hmm. they get very expensive I had a, a, mm-hmm. always a standing herd of seven um, all my life since I've been, been a child I mean, I mean I was born into horses and sheep <laughs> <laughs> when I don't Winnie <laughs> what are what are some of the things that stand out to you the most about, I guess, growing up on the farm or, or, or in the area? Probably growing up on the farm is, I mean, you have a freedom on the farm. I mean, we, my mom used to say you know, that we would go out in, at dawn and she wouldn't see us till in the evening. I actually lived outside almost when I wasn't in school. Which I really I did I oh, was a very good student in school ace but I hated going to school <laughs> because I wanted to be on the farm sure. that's what I my law it was just like in born into me and my my brothers and so I would spend my whole day riding my horses through the woods and just being in the woods and and in the fields and in the streams and I saw growing up it's like um you had this freedom but you also had this connection with nature. And with animals, and it, I, it, and my mom too was a very uh, about. She was an organic gardener when I was young. So you had this real connection with land, and trying to um, conserve it. it. We always felt there was a stewardship we had with the land to take care of it. And I, I think that's what was the best part about it is that, and being generational, I was with my grandfather, and we I learned so much from him. And his stories, because when you would work alongside him, he was always talking about our, you know, our ancestry or how to do things on the farm, how to how to do the old ways. And so I always feel that well, if we ever uh, lose electricity, <laughs> something ever happens, I'll be okay because I know how to horse hook up horses and plow with you know the old equipment. I still have we still have a lot of the old equipment. Oh, still, so, yeah. So mm. we're ready to go. <laughs> we just got to get the horses. <laughs> It's good to be prepared, you know. It's you never know. Good, good knowledge to have. It's good knowledge yeah. to have because mm-hmm. it's a, it's it's fading. It's I mean, it, it's not it is. each generation understands less, 
And I think that's one of the things I, I like about history is um, when I talk to people in programs, they'll come up to me and they say, I didn't know that, or um, wow, that was so fascinating. And I think, well, that's so cool because it's kind of like mission accomplished, you know. Yeah. I, you know, is that I love this and, and I study it because I love it. But if you can make somebody else go, wow, that's really neat, then that's really that's very satisfying for me to be able to find people that still have an interest. Yeah, I, I think we probably find people that, that, I think people do have an interest, they just don't know it takes, enough to, to like, even realize that they're interested sometimes. Yeah, you, you can, and that's what you think, you mm-hmm. just kind of like jumpstart that, yeah. uh, that uh, desire to learn more. But I, we also find, too, that a lot of, and, and you can understand it because of life being so busy. People usually don't come around to studying history or looking into genealogy until they're like 50 or more. Sure. I mean, we're rare, the ones that, that grow up or have this desire when you're young. Um, but, you know, it's just, I said, usually it's, it takes a little while, you know, and eventually, you know, people will. I, I'm surprised how many people still do have a passion for history, you know, it, yeah, it's still a popular thing, and yeah, and it's which like is I good. Said, it's, it's not as maybe as what it used to be, but it's always nice to. Yeah, it, it's changed over the years, but there's still that interest. Yeah, and yeah. it's and and it's like what you do, and like what I do, maybe sets that little spark. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the goal, isn't it? Yes, like, yeah. It's about share. making a connection mm-hmm. and sharing those making stories. That connection, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't lose. My mom gets upset because I look back a lot. I love the past, especially the Civil War era. era. If they had probably the antibiotics then, I would be probably happy as bug as in a rug in that era. <laughs> but I need the medication. Uh, that's true. <laughs> that's the one part that would... And my mom gets all upset because you got to look to the future. Why don't you live, to, you know, looking towards the future or more in the present? And I don't know why. I just, this, for me, I just like the past. It's, and my grandfather, I... Uh, he was the same way. He said he used to mourn the oh he didn't like tractors. He wanted the horse drawn days, and so maybe that's where I I get that from. <laughs> I mean, there's there's something valuable to almost having a passion for for that kind of yeah era in some ways because yes there there while there were bad things there were still a lot of good things yeah that that yeah. we're losing and that you know preserving those can be very important right. But like you said, it, mm-hmm. there is a lot of bad Oh, yeah, things. no, there's plenty of bad. <laughs> but that's that's the thing we can do is we can learn. Looking can, back, you can learn. Yeah, from, and it's fun to mm-hmm. be safe and comfortable here and look mm-hmm. back and say, oh, that would be so great. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, you can cherry pick and say, oh, that was terrible. But, you know, that wasn't such a bad idea. Yeah. Or oh, that was a good thing to know. Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. and preserve that. Yeah. How, how have you... I guess, how have you seen the community change in Eaton over the years? Oh, it, uh, development. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, right, I mean, uh, I think the um, Zoning uh, Commission of Eaton Township just told me a thousand houses more have been uh, applied for wow. in, in Eaton Township. Now, you know the size of Eaton Township. It's not really big, so no. a thousand more homes. And that's the changes. Mm. And what's make it difficult when I said about farming is very hard is because uh, a lot of people and and they're not saying they're bad people these are good people but they don't understand farming and so 
you get this two clash of two different worlds, of the rural world. And like to give you an example, if my brother, like when you have to, when you have to bring in a crop and you got weather, you have got to bring it in. And sometimes they have to work to two in the morning, they'll bring in the crop. Well, they'll get phone calls from not the old timers that live in here, but like usually the new people that come in that, you know, they got to work in the morning and there's a combine running at two o'clock in the morning. They try not to go beyond that time. They, I don't think they've ever gone beyond two in the morning. And usually it's very rare when they do go that late. I mean, that's like, I mean, that's not almost nil. It's just a couple times they'll get upset. They'll get upset the uh, dust from, a, a, you know, when you combine wheat and, and certain, pro there'll be a dust that's produced. Oh, sure, sure. They'll get upset with that. Uh, they'll get upset with mud on the road, and my brothers always go back and clean it up. Um, and when you're driving down the road in a combine or a tractor, I don't have to tell you how people feel about getting behind a tractor or a combine. <laughs> um, they get a lot of interesting um, waves. Oh wow! People, really? Yeah, people will. Yeah, they will. Oh, they'll cut the, cut them off in front, like on purpose, like to. And, and it's like my brother said, you can't stop a big combine. No, it's like stopping a, a locomotive train. It's, it's a building on the road. It's a build. Yes, exactly. And, and they're <laughs> wow. just, and he, they don't understand. Um, we had, my, my brother had a bumper sticker and it always says, um, don't complain about a farmer if your mouth is full. And I think that's it right <laughs> there. It kind of encapsulate the feeling is you need us. Why are you treating us like this? Yeah. But most people are pretty good about it. Um, well, yeah. You would think so, especially if you, you, like I, I, I grew up in the suburbs mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I started working out here. I thought, well, there's going to be stuff on the road. Yeah. I just, it's what it's it is. It's your obligation to clean it up though. The, well, the, not, the, my, not the, I mean, yeah. I'm, I don't, I not mean. Not yours, I mean, but the farmers. I mean, the, usually does, I yeah. mean the, tr the vehicles. The oh, the vehicles. And yes. I'm like, oh yeah, of course there are. They got to move. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I guess I'll just have to wait. I don't know. It's just the way it is. And it can, I understand it's frustrating because I've had to go to doctor appointments and you're yeah. behind something and you can't get around it. But um, the trouble is, is because farmers now they can't have, you know, especially in I'd say the top, the high, the top half of Lorain County, they don't they have to go from field to field now. It's not all in one block. True. So it's nothing. They might have to travel a mile down the road. They might have to go five miles down the road. They don't like it. They want everything together, but they can't. Um, it's all split up. It's all. It's just too split up now. They gotta, um, you know. Ask this, you know, because most of the farming now is you rent the property. You have your your core farm, but you can't make a go with just your core farm. You have to, you know, usually rent out uh, more land to because, well, as you mentioned, combines are the size of houses. Yeah. They're also the price of oh, houses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing the amount of money. So uh, you they have to just grab what they can in land to try to make a go of it if you want to stay a farmer. Yeah. And that's... Yeah. To be a farmer, they'll say, well, you know, why? You know, I've had, I heard one person say, well, if it's this hard and you're always like, you know, basically, you know, every year you have to go into hock to buy your stall, you know, equipment, your sprays and all the regulations you have to follow and all the tests, you know, why bother? But I don't think people understand like farmers, it's like, um, it's something you're, it's in your genes. You have this desire for the stewardship and for uh, just working with the soil it's like a passion that you might have well that's their passion it's, it's not a job it's a it, it's a, way it's of a life. life yeah yeah exactly mm -hmm. well put mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, well and it's interesting to see that as especially like eaton township has developed to see that kind of clash 
Yes, there, yeah. Between mm-hmm. the more traditional farming community right. that it was, yes. and kind of still is in some, some respects, but also it's almost partially a bedroom community in some ways exactly. as it's starting. You and know, that can a, have an impact on a community because yeah. a person is not immersed in their community. Um, so they're not, they don't have the, um, they don't feel the same way that maybe at one time we, those that stayed in an area and grew up in an area feel about an area, which is why it's probably hard to get people involved in local history. Mm-hmm. It's because, um, like I said, it's not like the developments that are around our farm. A person will buy a house and in two years they're gone. They resell it. And so you got this concept, a little bit of a, what would you call it, nomadic kind of, because their jobs, they move on. And so you you just don't have that, um, like I said, that immersion into your community and that it's, yeah. It's not as stable, the population. It's, it's more fluid, I suppose. Yes, and, that's, and, I guess, and, a good way to put it. And people can't set down roots like, yeah. like you have, your family has 190 years almost. Yes. As one of and the, that's unusual. Which is rare. Yes, it's very rare. And there's not that many families, especially in, in the... At least the townships around here, they're right, like that yeah. any longer. You have to usually go to New England or something yeah. for that kind of, yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah, most of them, like, they, they got the heck out of Dodge. <laughs> yeah, basically, <laughs> because, yeah. Because it's, it's not... It's a change. Yeah, because it's a different... Um, we're pretty good with rolling with things, pretty good. But we... Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, though, when you want to talk... Um, we've had... We're, we have a lot of problems with people thinking our farm is a park. And they'll really? come on it. Oh my gosh, the trespassing is something. We've had people cut trees on our property. Oh, wow. We've had people um, cut fence when we've had animals to let them out because they want to be able to get through with their snowmobiles. Oh, um, they destroy winter wheat with snowmobiles. They destroy soybean oh, wow. crops with their ATVs. They let their dogs run loose because it looks like a park. We've had 10, and now these are pet cats. These aren't wild barn cats. We've had 10 cats killed by people letting their dogs loose on our farm. You know, that Ten. back up, the, yeah. Um, I had my horse shot by a poacher, shot and killed. But yeah, someone just, one of the developments came over and decided, oh, all this property, so there's a deer, shot it, and it was my horse he shot. Um, so it's very hard, it's a very hard thing. You know, like you, you try to be very neighborly. I've had, sure. I had a sick horse. She was, I had a problem with lameness, and mm-hmm. she just got over it. We spent you spend hundreds of dollars when oh, you sure. got a sick horse, yeah. thousands of dollars now. But back then it was like, and uh, I looked out one day in the field, and a girl was running with a rope chasing this horse all around. And it's like, what in the heck is going on here? And is that my mom was the one that that caught this that saw this happening? Here it was she was from the developments and she had saw the horse and she decided she was going to rope it and ride it. Yeah. Right on our, yeah, it comes right on the property, and uh, wow. and the horse it set the horse back almost like um six weeks. Well, sure. She went backwards, yeah. and of course the my vet was furious and wanted us to sue, and that. Mm. But um, we just had him pay for the vet bills, mm. um, you know, to, to cover. It. And but this is the kind of thing we have to we have to deal with, and I always say when I see somebody trespassing, especially if they're being destructive, is like. How would you feel if I came into your yard and jumped into your swimming pool? And they'll say, well, that would be, you can't just come over and jump in my swimming pool. And I'll say, well, then how come you can come over here? Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, we're paying very high insurance. We're holding on to this by the skin of our teeth because mm-hmm. the, the expenses, yeah. uh, paying taxes on the property, you know, this is, we're sacrificing uh, maybe not traveling as much or, or just or doing things that we would like to do, maybe like you, you get mm-hmm. to do. We're sacrificing to hold on to this property 
just respect it. And that's, yeah. I think, the thing is we, farmers need to be respected because they're also feeding you. Yeah. yeah. You, have to, you have to have them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's their livelihood. Yes. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, somebody doesn't show up and smash the windows in your house. Right. And say, well, pff, I don't know. I, yeah. Why would you? It's, it's, it's. Yeah. It's shocking. It's yeah. the, the stories I could, I, mm-hmm. it could go on and. Mm-hmm. And that makes it really hard when you see, because you never know, like, hey, what's this person going to be like? What's that person going to be like? Yeah. And, and thank God most people are very good. I mean, you get, you know, a development could be hundreds of people in a development, mm-hmm. and you might get, you know, one or two bad eggs. And Yeah, always going to be a few. But... Yeah, and that's what makes it. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so different now that there's not just, like, five giant family farms. Yeah. And you know all your neighbors. We're an island. We're an island. And, yeah. yeah. And you're surrounded by We're surrounded. I should with, tell you this yeah. one story. This is really a creepy story. <laughs> oh. But it can give you um an idea of, and this happened when um I was younger. Mm. When the first development went in that backed up to our farm, the people let their dogs loose. And we had sheep in the back field. And one day my brothers and I was looking out back. And we said, my God, there's parachutes. Some, there's a whole bunch of parachutes out back with red packages. And we went running out there to see what, what it, yeah, you can imagine what it is. We got out there, and the closer we got, the parachutes were made out of wool. Mm-hmm. And the red packages were the sheep. The sheep. Were these two pet dogs that these people let loose came into our place, slaughtered about 10 sheep, and um, it was horrible. And anyways, the, of course, the, when the guy saw what his dog did, he told the sheriff to take the dog away. He, he mm. didn't want that dog in his house anymore. It was terrible. The other guy was really qu- quite belligerent about it. He was <laughs> like, well, that's what dogs do. And it's like slaughter people, sheep. What? I mean, you know, yeah. So it, that's... That's the conflict. That's the I conflict, suppose, yeah. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And why people have to adjust... Yeah. Or at least like understand your yeah. Neighbor. When you, when you come out yeah. to the country, they mm-hmm. want to enjoy the country, mm-hmm. but they have to understand it's not the suburbs, Mm-mm. and you can't bring your suburban ways and expect them to be mm-hmm. applicable to rural mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. But like I said, as far as this half of Lorain County, the top half, mm-hmm. it's basically it's already developed. It's yeah. it's gone. We're just like the the last. One of the last farms. I mean, there is a lot of farms around here still, mm-hmm. open land, but as far as family farms are going... Uh, it's not that many left. It's not. It's, and, and it's going, all, going, gone. Yeah, they're all in the southern part of the county. We're the, probably the last generation that this farm will have. Hmm. So after us, it'll be gone. That's a hard thing to think about. Yes, it bothers us immensely. Um, yeah, but don't blame you. Yeah. If it wasn't probably for the roots... And because of our love of mm-hmm. nature and openness, if it wasn't for the roots, we would probably have been long gone. Mm-hmm. That's, but, you know, to go out and move farther out. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, it's there's some great comfort in walking on uh, down a lane that you knew your Civil War ancestor walked down. Mm-hmm. Great comfort in um, when, I, when the house was still standing is walking through doorways where People from the 1830s were, you know, eight, well, that'd be 1840s when they built the house and mm-hmm. forth. They're walking through, and you know, this is this was this, this is that, you know, where they did this. Um, so there was, there's a there's a comfort to it. You feel real close. When uh, to me, it's like uh, I I lived history every day. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. In that that house has been there. That's not. It was in, built in 1849. 18, 1849, yeah. and yeah. still. 
Yeah, still there. and we just tore it down. Um, mm. It because and and that was a really heartbreak to tear it down. Mm-hmm. But it um, it was a three way split that came, and that's what's I think that's what yeah. kills the farm mm. is that each if the the one that wants to farm and wants to to be the farmer and keep it has that desire to keep that legacy going they have to buy out the others yeah and when you buy out the others then you struggle to maintain what you have sure and that house was a three-way split and um my dad really wanted to preserve the house and my husband and i really wanted to restore it we had uh we were going to be able to get grants we were already okayed for everything Hmm. um but the price was so unreasonably high that they would not agree you know they, they said that's for what it is. And so we were not able to do it. And so when you have two thirds of the investors not wanting to invest money into it, it just, they couldn't couldn't do anything about it. And you know, I'm I'm not gonna fix up a house that two other people own that that are not putting anything, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it doesn't doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. You can't can't have uh, that many partnerships. Now, with the case with my, my two brothers and myself, we work really great together. Mm-hmm. We're we're like we're all on the same page. Mm-hmm. So that's what's really cool. And so my husband mm-hmm. is too. So it's really great to be have somebody. And he's from a farm. Uh, his family farms are in Ashland. Mm-hmm. So he understands, understands the sacrifices yeah. you make when you have when you farm. You don't. You don't take off when you want to go on vacation no. when you want. Or... No, it's a it's a different kind of thing. It's a yeah. It's you a have different kind to, of life. Different type yeah, of has life. To be. Yes. But we're not suffering at all. We, mm-hmm. we we do go places and have a good time. And the other thing I want to say too about farming too is people don't realize farmers had computers and GPS long before the public <laughs> did. So that when people like uh, maybe want to look at Hicks and the Sticks, these are not Hicks and the Sticks. <laughs> these guys are up on everything. They're accountants. They're great math- mathematicians. Mm-hmm. They're biologists. Mm-hmm. They're they're veterinarians. Like mm-hmm. it's not on paper, but they know how to take care sure. of things. But the fact is, they're techno- They they're way more tech savvy than the public is because they have to be now. Yeah. Yeah. My brother's now is exploring drones. He's going mm-hmm. for for you know because his fields are so far away and and mm-hmm. that so it's like really neat that farmers have been using drones like I said computers and GPS long before they came <laughs> so it's like they're pretty up on some, some yeah. things yeah. yeah well they have to be it's it's they're, they're business owners they have you, to. you have to be on the cutting oh, edge oh yeah oh and, and you're you don't have a backup plan you no. are the one mm-hmm. yeah which if you know it's up to you whether you succeed or not mm-hmm. um, so they're they're always going to be the ones that are the early adapters to Yes. The new tech that they could take advantage of exactly. and use. And mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I think that is one of those misconceptions. Yes. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, no, farmers have to know a whole they, lot of yeah, stuff. Yeah. You're, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like you said, there's animals and you have to have, you understand your crops, which is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're very diverse. <laughs> you're very diversified. Oh, yeah. And you have to be make quick decisions. Mm-hmm. You have to make decisions that are right. A lot of common sense. Um, it's just. Um, it, it all depends on you, your decision making, and and how you decide and what you know. Oh yeah. It's... Well, and it's also I, we talked about it before. I think we started recording, but it was it's a dangerous profession too. Oh yeah. So you have to have a lot of. That's why you have to think all the time and be. You have yeah. You have to be you smart have, about it. You just think ahead, think yes. forward. You're mm-hmm. thinking forward, like anticipating. Okay, if I do this, this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you have to because, like you said. It's was you said the third danger. It was something like that. It was yeah, in the top way up five there. at least. Yeah. And, like, and we've seen our share in the farm yeah. and of you, that. Right? Yeah, and, and yeah. I, I would imagine anybody who is has done that is going to see. 
Yeah. Some, you know, injuries. Oh, yeah. And, and usually the injuries are not severe. pleasant. Yeah. Yes. We've known some people killed by farm equipment. Sure, sure. There was a man, um, when I was young, they talked about this man that was killed by his bull. You know? Oh. Yeah. I mean, Ugh. it wasn't on our farm. Mm -hmm. It was another farm. And it was like, you know, I've I've had very close calls with horses Hoofs coming very close to my yeah. my head, and I, and I mean it would be something that would lay you right out. Um, I've had that. My grandfather was on. He's had been was kicked in the head by a cow. Believe me, it's hard <laughs> to think of a cow getting his leg up. That a cow can kick all different directions. Unlike oh, a can? horse, you know, a horse kicks like kick back. backwards. Yeah, they can kick it. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess that's a defense it. mechanism because they can't run fast. Maybe I don't know, but it's really interesting because huh. we always tell be careful around the cows because. They can kick you really good this way or this way or that way. Hmm, that's good to remember. Uh, yeah, just keep that in mind when you're around a cow. I'll have to think about that. I've never been on the same side of the fence as a, fence as a cow. Yeah. And on the other side thinking, well, that thing's enormous. Yes. I'm going to be careful. Most of them are very gentle, but, they, yeah, was, but they're so big. They're you, huge. Yeah, yeah, they're so big. Yeah, And never underestimate a sheep. Because oh, really? we've had rams on the farm that oh. they knock you down. You can't get back up. They <laughs> <laughs> just keep you nailed on the... I had one hit me that had those big horns. Oh, they curled really? right around. It looked like a big horn ram. Yeah. And he smashed me right between uh, a fence. Whoa. And I mean, our sheep shirt was there. And I, I, and I was like, he goes, oh, my gosh. <laughs> He goes, are you okay? And actually, it didn't hurt. You want to know why? Hmm. Because his horn, he had such a wide forehead, oh. and his horns dispersed that it actually dispersed the blow. Hmm. And if it had been maybe just a, a ram with just a one without horns that mm -hmm. hit me, it, it probably would have been a lot worse. But that's all we can figure. Who, who knows? I just, <laughs> you never know. That's interesting, though. Yeah, Got to watch was... out for all those animals. Yeah, as I said, though, you gotta watch out for a chicken. You chicken. never know when a rooster gets mad at you. Yeah, they got, they, with got the some, they got some claws on them. It's so. dangerous out there. <laughs> I just saw a new story about somebody getting killed by a rooster. Well, they have those. I, they have those spurs on there. I think he might have been fighting, so it might not. Oh, have been, fighting! It might not have been rooster? legal, but he definitely got killed by a rooster. Oh my goodness! Well, you just got. They they get angry with you. They they yeah. they have these points on the inside, and they 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 take their wings and then they you know beat you with their wings while they're. Stabbing, stabbing you. you. I've never heard of anybody killed by a rooster, so that's interesting. Yeah, I was. I, I, that's what I was thinking. It's like, ooh, that's. Yeah, yikes. I'll not I'll put that down on the list. Something yeah. else to watch out for. <laughs> Next, will be telling me rabbits. Maybe think about it. Like I, Monty Python rabbit. Oh yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Nasty, vicious. I don't know. I'm, I'm now scared of all animals now due to media. So. <laughs> well, actually, speaking of cows, were you, you were in the? Your family was in the. The dairy, there was the jerky, jerky dairy, dairy, wasn't it? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, my, would be my Civil War ancestor started the dairy. Mm. Um, and, you know, bought more land, mm -hmm. got the cows, built a, a dairy barn. And uh, he, he was the one that started it. And then as my, my grandfather, that would be his grandfather that started it. So And my grandfather, mm -hmm. he, when he was young, he would deliver milk. In fact, we still have the horseshoe pads, the horseshoes that they delivered with because they have pads on the bottom because you deliver milk at four o'clock in the morning oh, on a horse-drawn yeah. wagon and you don't want to wake up people at four o'clock in the morning delivering their milk with that clippity-clop. Huh. And so we, they had padded horseshoes, pads on the bottom of them. At, like, they're like rubber yeah. so that they wouldn't clop. And so that's how he delivered milk. And hmm. it, it, uh, it was... It, the farm... 
you know, we're talking a small farm mm -hmm. and a lot of the small farms in the area. When in the 19, uh, I think it was 40s, it could be 50s, they started changing, you know, the regulations and oh. you were required to make upgrades. Mm -hmm. And some of the upgrades is you had to add windows in your barn and which we did. We had the windows in the back of the barn. You had to have, so it had ventilation. Mm -hmm. You had to make your barn configured a certain way. You had to have it built a certain way. You had to um, have no other animals in the barn. Well, then it became feasible, all these different regulations and upgrades that you had to do. First of all, if you're a farmer just living hand, you know, day by day, mm -hmm. it's, it's mm -hmm. a hard struggle to make it. And you're told you had to make these huge changes to your place. A lot of them couldn't afford it, including my family. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it, you know, and you have other animals, and you can't maybe afford to build another barn for the other animals. So it just became a struggle, and they finally just said, it, you know, they couldn't do the upgrades and the regulations, and they were bought out by Sunshine Dairy in Illyria. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's the turkey milk bottles now are locally collectibles, and it's funny because yeah. we went all our life and we never had a turkey milk bottle. <laughs> Everybody else had them in the community but us. But not and finally dirties. one day some guy says, well, I have an extra milk bottle. So he gave it to my brother. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just interesting. But yeah, it was, um, yeah, yeah my, my dad would talk about the more in the days of, and uh, I know there's a controversy now about organic milk, you know, the yeah, sure. uh, unpasteurized milk and that. Uh, but he would talk about you cannot, the flavor is so tremendously different between a, milk that is not homogenized mm. you know the pasteurization process and that and and i got to sample that when i was young and it is it because i hate i hate white milk to be <laughs> i hate milk at all and which is funny because my dad did too and here we've you know dairy yeah. farm <laughs> but there is a difference in just getting it right out of the cow yeah. yeah, but I but it is also dangerous. So mm -hmm. you, it's the you know you have to be really super careful. So I I don't advocate that at all. But um and it is safer this way. But but it was nice to be able when I was young to be able to taste what my ancestors what, taste exactly. And, and and it was like well you know I could see it's a it's got a, a definite flavor and a a bit of a sweetness to it and and it's just um. It's just, it's a, just a little product, different, almost. yeah. 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 It, it, it's it's actually that's a cool thing to know, yeah. And that because that's how people consume that for right. And yeah, remember their stomachs are more cast iron than ours are, yeah, now, so true. they could handle maybe more. They were used to bacteria it. <laughs> and things yeah. that um, yeah. that we we can't now. Yeah. So yeah, things change and and you know for the better for the people too. Mm -hmm. You know, you safety and basically that's how our family farm went out because we could not. Uh, keep up with that, the demands with it. It wasn't enough cows. I mean, we had a lot of cows. By the time I was a young, um, young, we were probably we were down to less than ten Holsteins. Oh, not too I mean, many, we went yeah. really small, and we just kept them because my for sentimental reasons, my mm. grandfather kept them. You know, it's just instead of se sending them off, you know, yeah. I mean, to well, the they're... great beyond, he kept them for, and then we just uh, used them. You know, just. Kept them to keep them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't blame him for that. I mean, why yeah. wouldn't you? That's you've. That's, and again, I think it's that comfort too. Yeah, yeah. his connection it, to it's, maybe it's, his dad and his grandfather. You know, that sent him. Mm -hmm. Farmers can be sentimental, you know, sure. in that aspect. Uh, yeah. So. Well, they have that that tie, those ties back, like you said. Yes, and they yeah. were very gentle, good cows, oh. very good dairy mm -hmm. cows. Very, yeah. We had a cutting horse we got from Kansas. 
and when you let the cows, the the, the dairy cows, you, we called a certain way, and mm-hmm. they would be way back in the field, and when it was time to to milk them or that, you would call. We'd say "kaboy, kaboy," which is where, where I learned to get my big, loud, booming voice. My <laughs> grandfather taught me that to call animals. Yeah, you know, you gotta <laughs> and call. It, yeah, and like my, my mom says, "Gosh, I don't know if that was like, you know, <laughs> you don't have to be that loud." <laughs> but uh, developed my lungs very well. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so we call them in, and then that that cutting horse from Kansas. It was a a paint horse. It would go into action and drive the cows up. Because hmm. she was without a, a rider, she you could send her out to get gather up your whether you want sheep or like the, the cow, because she knew what to do on her own. In fact, she always thought she was smarter than us. She oh, really yeah. looked down. <laughs> she really looked down her nose at us. It was like you know, you bunch of dummies. You know, <laughs> like I'll take it from here. Yeah, I got, I got, it, I got it handled. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, it's a, just like that. And, and if you challenged her, you did not see her. It looked like a snake. She'd put her ears flat back. Oh, yeah. Oh. Like, I'm in charge. You're not. <laughs> so that that was an interesting part on our farm. <laughs> Junie, Junie the pony. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, yeah. it's a it's a working animal. Yes, she was because she, she was raised she as knew her a job yeah, on a ranch. Mm-hmm. With cowboys broke her to mm-hmm. um, do to this be a thing cutting and, horse. Yeah, and she knew she was good at and it. And she knew she was smarter mm-hmm. than us at yeah, it. Well, so, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. So, had a couple animals like that that look at yeah. me like I'm a complete idiot. <laughs> They do tend to do that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some think you're God, others think you're <laughs> just like whatever, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, there were quite a few dairies, weren't there? Oh, yeah. In, in the township, there was a number of dairies, but like I said, they kind of they fell all the kinda, same way we did. Mm-hmm. Um, you just—they all kind of went away at the same time. It seemed like when that when the regulations, when the regulations at, yeah. came in and the and upgrades, because like I said, they these guys were reforming these dairies mm-hmm. to supplement their incomes and then like in the case of with my um my my grandfathers when they might well, be my my great-grandfather then that would be the son of the civil war veteran mm-hmm. he when he said to in order to make it he would have he had to increase like pigs and chickens to sell not for just you know their mm-hmm. take but to try to keep things going sure and and for that he needed space and you know and he also had to buy out his brother's Mm-hmm. And so he had a mortgage to pay. So when you have these, this high mortgage, and then all of a sudden someone's telling you, you got to do this, you got to do that, and that. And it's for the safety of the people, of course. Sure, sure. Um, I should say that farmers were as safe as they could be, but oh, there's yeah. always, you know, because they have an invested interest, they're, they're eating the same thing you are. Oh, right? yeah. And mm-hmm. so um, that, that's. That's what happened to a lot of a lot of cheese factories. There was cheese factories there were in Eaton Township, much, there? and the reason the cheese factory too is because of the excess milk. Uh, and we had a couple of them here in Eaton Township. Uh, one of was over by eighty four Lumber. Can you know where that oh, is? Oh yeah, 82? by the uh, train tracks. Yeah, there was a, mm-hmm. there was one there, and then my um, Civil War grandfather again. He started one up there. Do you, you know where Butternut Ridge Cemetery is? Mm-hmm. Where, where you know that C P Gilgamba. Yeah, um, Gilgamesh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, right where so, C.P. Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. That was the orchard factory. They called it. That's what they call. He called his cheese company, Orchard Factory. Oh yeah. He didn't have it very long, mm-hmm. but um, like I said, because then he like said their their dairy was going, you know, out mm-hmm. and. But it was kind of neat because I have a picture of him standing with a horse-drawn buggy in front of the <laughs> orchard cheese factory, and standing and these women in you know, eighteen nineties probably eighteen seventy garb mm-hmm. and it's. Really, kind of a neat picture. So, yeah. A window back into a yeah, whole yeah. different era. <laughs> oh, it is. I love yeah. that, especially because it's hard to find some of those pictures. There's oh, yeah. Lot, we have yeah. a lot of them. Yeah. I was glad that we have 
-hmm. the pictures we have. We we have some neat pictures. So mm -hmm. yeah. Well, actually, speaking of the cemetery, we thought we'd ask you a little bit about that because I know you've been pretty involved in right in, in in the Butternut Ridge Cemetery, and there's you know some interesting stuff about that place that I don't think people know about. Oh my goodness! Actually, um, actually, uh, when I became involved, I was pretty blown away by things I learned about that. My brother Kurt Durkee is a sexton there. Yes, uh, mm -hmm. uh, he and um, very. I would say that is a beautiful cemetery. Uh, because I know cemeteries, <laughs> and I'm not being biased, but the, mm -hmm. the boy, and I think I'm not saying the other cemeteries don't have this because they mm -hmm. probably, because I don't know anybody that's running other cemeteries. But we're so lucky because my committee, we're with the Eaton Township mm -hmm. Veterans Memorial mm -hmm. Committee, so we work with the the crew at the cemetery in the Sexton, and I can tell you that these guys have a really I don't know how you, if you would say a love, but I mean, they feel very um, protective of the cemetery mm -hmm. and they have this, uh, they just want to care for it. And I think that's really neat that it's just not, this isn't a job for them. For them, it's really uh, just, um, I can't think of how to say that, but just it's some a desire to make this a, a wonderful place and a peaceful place, mm -hmm. very protective of it. And I am, um, and that's what makes it, I think, why it's so beautiful with the, the plants and the, the upkeep of it and, you know, uh, it, just the reverence there. And the cemetery, I think it was founded in 1810, is when they, up on Butternut Ridge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And my connection with it, not just because my brother's a sexton, is because my family, when they came from the New England, mm -hmm. they they stopped there right at where the cemetery is. Of course, it wasn't a cemetery then, but they stopped there right in that spot and then they buried their belongings so it wouldn't be just their belongings would not be stolen huh. so that they could um you know proceed to try to make a path to their farm you oh, know the farm yeah and they so they didn't... kept the stuff buried there so i guess the first thing that was buried there was be my family's <laughs> belongings <laughs> <laughs> and, and and so in, in like in 1810 then like i said that was well it was already a cemetery there in 1810 because they weren't there till 1834 mm -hmm. when they buried it and it was in, I think, 1850 when they actually added 20, I think it was 20 acres more. And that, be, you know, because of the township expanding. The growth of the township. So yeah. it's an old cemetery. We got, you, you asked me about some of the special things. We have two Revolutionary War soldiers mm -hmm. buried there. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. Uh, we have um, the man who invented cool. the alkaline battery, which is, wow. I mean, that's mm -hmm. world-altering, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Louis Urey. Mm -hmm. um, we have a Dorothy... Um, McGuire, let's see, Dorothy McGuire Chapman. She was uh, in the Rancine Bells during World War II. All the men, of course, are in service. Mm -hmm. And so the nation decided to have these women leave uh, baseball leagues. Hundreds and hundreds of women tried out. They only selected 60. One of them was Dorothy right from here. Yeah. And um, <laughs> she became a, she was a catcher. And in fact, if you watch the movie A League of Their Own, Gina Davis is actually playing Dorothy. Her role. I didn't uh, know this. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 there's a statue. They they use Dorothy mm -hmm. as uh, um, a model to, for the statue at the New York's uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. So if you Google the Hall of Fame and see a statue of a woman, yeah, you know, statue of a woman with a baseball bat swinging mm -hmm. it, that's Dorothy. 
And so we have her up here. Yeah. We have um, a guy named Louis Bateman who was, oh, my God, he was a survivor of the Indianapolis with the, the sharks oh, really? in the water. Remember no Dawes when, um, what's his name, Quint tells the story mm-hmm. of those, the, you know, mm-hmm. that he was on the Indianapolis and how they, the sharks were eating the guys and they would, well, mm-hmm. Louis Bateman had similar horror stories. Hmm. And um, you would never know this, that you know, these people have, and I think that's what's so wild is these people have these stories behind them and you don't know it. Mm-hmm. And so he, he's a survivor. We have... Do you know Harlan Chapman, who, he's not dead, Harlan Chapman, Lieutenant Colonel Harlan Chapman. His, he has generations, generations of grandfathers, direct line, that fought in every, almost every war, uh, buried there. He was the longest held prisoner of war, I think, in American history, seven years in the Hanoi Hilton. Oh, and his aunts and his, could be his grandfather was the one that started the our Civil War monument uh, because oh, he was in the Civil the, War. Mm-hmm. Um what we do is, is my committee puts on a Memorial Day service every Memorial Day. Oh, actually, it's a Sunday before Memorial Day. And I decided that we I didn't want these. There were so many these names of these veterans. What they did was so remarkable. And I thought people should know about it. So I pick out two names every year, two sol- soldiers, and I'll tell their story. Oh, and they, idea. I mean, it's like it blows you away what these men endured. I mean, mm-hmm. prisoners of war. Seeing, I mean, just like what's the, you know, watching his friends being ate, ate by sharks, yeah, his fellow, uh, yeah, and the horror of watching his ship sink, and um, all and and you we tell these stories, and the people in the audience are like, oh my gosh, they can't believe it's happening, mm-hmm. uh, and so my my goal is, you know, these are not just names on a grave; mm-hmm. these are what these people did. These are you know. They're people's stories they're, and lives. People's and stories. They've influenced. They've influenced. Yes. You know, potentially mil- millions mm-hmm. of people. Right. And they're here yeah. in Eaton Township. They're, they're right here. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Our bagpiper. Um, mm-hmm. We have a really nice service. This is a plug for our service. <laughs> <laughs> we have a great service. It's um, beautiful singers, always great speakers. Speakers are from all. I mean. Uh, ones that were fighting in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. You'll have like judges. We we just we get really good speakers. Um, uh, we do and I, I do the t- stories of the vets. Mm-hmm. We lost our bagpiper. I think to I can't remember if he was ill or what. So we had to scramble to get another bagpiper. And we were the um, the ma- the minister who did our ben- ben- invocation and benediction. Mm-hmm. And I think he suggested. Well, here's a card. This guy does. Had had done a funeral mm-hmm. and left his card behind, and so I called him and he was like, "Oh, I'm, yeah, he's familiar with the township." He said, "Yeah, uh, I'll you know I'll I'll try to make it out there and you know because he was from Brexville, and he said you know that's a long way out and he has he does his own Memorial Day celebrations and so he did he said I'll I'll come out and help you out in a pinch, so he came out. And the following year, when I called to see if he'd come again, his wife answered the phone and she said, "Oh." She says, I know who you are. My husband really went on about your service. <laughs> she says, that was probably one of the most reverent and beautiful services. Mm-hmm. And she says, um, I'll tell him. And he called me back then. And he says, yes. He said he loved what we were doing. Wow. He's been back our bagpiper then for at least the last five years that <laughs> I can think of. But yeah. I, 
I know, just, it's, I know know, it's quite an event over there, and, and if you, I've always if, heard great things. If you go to mm -hmm. our cemetery, you know, you want to know what mm -hmm. makes our cemetery outstanding. Mm -hmm. First of all, is it, I think it's also the veterans, what mm -hmm. we've done with the veterans. Mm -hmm. We've got not just the Civil War statue, but we have that big granite bench. Mm -hmm. It's got over a thousand names on it, engraved of, of, of people who lived in Eaton Township or were born in Eaton Township, and had some connection with Eaton Township, that served, and their names are all on there, starting with the Revolutionary War, going up to present. We still take names. Um, you know, you, you, you fit the criteria. Your name gets engraved on the bench, mm -hmm. and it's spectacular. This It's granite. It's huge. We had the American Legion head of the nation came out and saw it and, and was just blown away by the design. We also have a plaque there. From the Civil War, uh, uh, the Centennial, which was in the 1860s, because we were the only township to recognize the Civil War's 100th anniversary and do a whole series of ceremonies for every year of the war. We actually began it in 1860, the pre-war ceremony, to honor the, the veterans mm -hmm. and to commemorate the war. And we got, um, what was it called, the Presidential Award? Wow. Medal of Award of Distinction or something. Something. Yeah, I remember yeah, seeing I, I, that article. Yeah, it's um, it's a, a special award. I'm trying to see where I've seen that. It, it, it's a very honored. It was the only oh, yeah. township in the mm -hmm. in the nation that mm -hmm. had this uh, this honor. And um, you stand where the memorials, and you look down at our cemetery, you would not believe the number of veterans' flags flapping in the breeze. Mm -hmm. Our township really, the, the people just stepped up to serve their country. And I think it's daunting when you look at it, uh, all these flags, and thinking this many people served. Mm -hmm. It's like unbelievable. I've never seen a cemetery so full, oh, it's full of those of, flags. I've, I've gone past it. I've seen it when, during that, that time. And yeah. it's, just, it's just all flags. Yeah, it's like um, it's amazing. Crazy. And those mm -hmm. are, it's, a, it's at a grave of every veteran mm -hmm. who served. Mm -hmm. And we, I had, um, you know, our committee does the flag decorating before mm -hmm. this Memorial Day where you, you put the markers mm -hmm. in and you put the flags in. And when I was wrapping up, I was like, my husband and I were the last ones to leave. And I, because there was a flag that sometimes they get missed because there's so many. So you have yeah. to go back through the cemetery like at least twice to make times, sure everybody's sure, covered. Sure. And um, this guy pulled in with his mother and he goes, what are you doing? And I told him that we decorate, you know, the flags of the veterans. And he goes... He was so blown away, but he was an Afghanistan war veteran. Mm. He served four tours over there. <laughs> and he says, I can't believe this. He said, "This I've never seen a cemetery. He was from Parma. He said, mm. I've never seen a cemetery like this. And he says, mm. "And uh, he says, you guys are, are so honoring of veterans. And I said, well, and I pointed out our memorial. Mm -hmm. And I said, take a look at the memorial before oh, yeah. you leave. And he says, I can't. He said, this blows my mind. Mm -hmm. And he, he started thanking me profusely. profusely and I'm like... <laughs> No, the reason we're doing this is to thank you. <laughs> yeah, you don't yeah. have to thank us. Mm -hmm. You know, we're doing it for you. Mm -hmm. And he asked me, he says, you know, I live in Parma. Can I be buried here? And I <laughs> said, well, you'll have to pay more money because <laughs> it costs more for people from out of the township. township yeah. but, but he says, because he felt like he would be with fellow veterans. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I thought that was really, really neat. Yeah, it just shows that work and how important that is to people and, yes. and what it means. You know, you're doing you know? it as a thank you, mm -hmm. and you don't realize mm -hmm. that there's mm -hmm. somebody that's like grateful you're doing it. Mm -hmm. When I was researching um, my my Civil War uh, relative that was killed on South Mountain, um, and I was searching for you know up in the mountains, you know, for for the grave and that, um, I was with a Vietnam veteran, mm -hmm. 
And I got thinking, and this is how I got started with the uh, doing volunteer flags at the cemetery. Oh, okay. And um, because I asked him, I said, this is way back, you know, <laughs> back when I was younger. And uh, I, I, when we were searching and I got thinking uh, to my, it was almost like thinking out loud. I don't know. I don't know if this is like, a, um, I should, you know, should I be doing this? Should I not be doing this? I, I don't, I just, you know, I don't know if this is like, a, is, is it like looking at like, is I'm, am I doing it for me or am I really mm-hmm. doing it for the soldier? Mm-hmm. And he, he said to me, he says, you know, if I was a soldier, you know, he's, I am a soldier, but he said, if I was an unknown or if I, you know, was just initial, I would hope like heck somebody like you would come along mm-hmm. and make things right for me. And that really, I mean, that was probably one of the most profound things I, I heard mm-hmm. and it changed my life. And that's why I got involved mm-hmm. with the cemetery is because here's a soldier that said, this means something to me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's my way of saying thank you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a good way to yeah. do it too. Yeah. And that means we have in this community something kind of amazing. Yes. And unique in a lot of ways. Yes. We are having problems, though, because yeah. not enough, we're not getting any. Um, the old regime that started the mm-hmm. 95, 1995, that started the committee, mm-hmm. um, they're some, you know, well, one member's 90 in his yeah. 90s, yeah. and um, some of them have already passed away. Mm-hmm. So we're just a, a young there's not a young group. I'm the youngest, <laughs> and I'm not young. <laughs> We're having a hard time getting people recruiting. We're only down to four active oh, yeah. members that actually do the decoration. And we we rely, we mm-hmm. do have volunteers mm-hmm. that will come and help, and we're so grateful for volunteers because that's how I started out with sure. the volunteers. So I'm sure. hoping, you know, we, we, all, we all, the four of us hope that yeah. these volunteers will say, hey, I'll take up the torch mm-hmm. and help. And we try to involve the Girl Scouts and the Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and maybe if somebody hears this, they'll realize, yeah. like, oh, there's that. And, and they want to. Yeah. They just didn't know. Because you know, how many new people have been moving in. Right. And, and, and yes. some of those people really do want to set down roots, I think. Yeah. I, and I, they want to learn and they want to be a well, part, we, we which get, is great. When the volunteers come, they're yeah. so enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. And like you said, a lot of them are new people mm-hmm. in the area and they want to they want to learn about the community yeah. and be a part of the community. Yeah. And so, oh, we are, we are just so grateful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can we suggest that they want to join it. We don't force it. You know, we don't like put any pressure on them. <laughs> but we just say, if, hey, if you're interested, you yeah. know, we're here. Mm-hmm. You know, But we're so grateful for the volunteers and they're so enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just they feel so good about themselves when, when it's done, too. And that's we're happy for them and they're happy and. And, and what they did is a great happy. service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. A great service, yeah. So very grateful, yes. Um, I was curious how all of the projects that you've been a part of, the cemeteries and then your family history, how that's translated into some of the creative pursuits mm-hmm. you've been doing, like writing. Well, I write, my, most of my writing is local history um, because I'm just so, when you start digging into local history, you're so blown away by what's going on. It's like, holy mackerel. And yeah, I think it's the, I think it's that growing up, um, the stories that you're told, it does have an influence and also makes you into a storyteller. My grandfather was very good, very good storyteller. Um, he wasn't, you know how sometimes they, oh, here's grandpa's story again. Some kids will say, <laughs> my grandfather wasn't like that. My mm. grandfather could hold you spellbound. So could my my great-grandfather. They just had that knack to do it. Maybe it's that Irish in them that has that ability to do that. And I kind of carried that down from them. And uh, we just loved the stories. And yes, that did play into my creativity because 
one I write to write about local history because I think that let the other world take care of the the big picture, you know, because mm-hmm. I I'm not that knowledgeable it's enough to write anything beyond my my world, and uh, and this way I'll focus on my the the local. And because it also involves people in the community, you know, it, it gives them a sense of True. what's going on. And my artwork, I do a lot of wildlife is my mostly wildlife. Mm-hmm. And I do one of the things I did over the years is capture barns in the area before they were they fell down. So I did a lot of bar, barn paintings and, and rural scenes to try to capture them before they're gone. And they, they were snatched up pretty quick, those pictures. I have one woman <laughs> that I have to show her my barn pictures before I actually and she'll take them she'll buy them right off of me oh wow yeah and uh i was able to i was on channel uh fox 8 news in cleveland mm-hmm. and um uh, stephanie schaefer and wayne dawson mm-hmm. i got to to meet them and i got andre Murnier too Lovely. and they they <laughs> wanted to they featured yeah, he was really doing, yeah. I, dick goddard was always my idol because i wanted to be a meteorologist oh, but he oh. wasn't there that day oh. <laughs> no offense to Andre Bernier, he, he's good too. <laughs> but I, I was hoping to see Dick. <laughs> but uh, they featured one of my barns paintings, oh, really? and it was really I'm interesting kidding. because it was a, um, a local barn. Mm-hmm. And when I got home, my phone rang, and a woman goes, "You painted my barn." I'm like, "Oh, yeah." And she goes, "We do not have black Angus on our farm." Because <laughs> I had put black Angus in it, oh. <laughs> and I said, "Well, because I said the ranch, you go, we, we are, you know, we don't have those kind of cows." Uh, and I said, uh, "Well, I said the reason I put them in there is because when I was halfway through the picture, I already had a buyer, and he wanted black oh, Angus in the cows." <laughs> So I think she went, oh, okay. Commission <laughs> I don't think she piece. was real happy because she's like, black eggs on our farm. People are very passionate. I, well, I mean. <laughs> Loretta, mm-hmm. and I do house portraits mm-hmm. too. And I think oh, it's really? kind of neat too because uh, you're giving people something a little bit beyond just a yeah. photograph. Yeah. So I, I get, mm-hmm. so people like house portraits. So I did Lorena McKell, and I didn't tell her. I, I did Lorena McKelpine, the old corner house. Oh, down the corner. On, yeah. On the corner mm-hmm. at Parsons. Mm-hmm. And I entered it in shows, and it was winning a lot of things mm. at shows. And uh, I, I don't know how she saw it. She saw it somewhere. She goes, called me up, she goes, you painted my house. And I went like, <laughs> she, she, she could have, <laughs> you don't want to make Loretta McKell find that. <laughs> she goes, you painted my house. And I said, yes, I did. I said, it was so beautiful. Mm. You should have told me. And I said, okay <laughs> and she says because i want to buy it <laughs> mm-hmm. and i said oh okay i was like oh my gosh <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> first they yell at you and then they want to buy it <laughs> but uh yeah but it was just so beautiful i mean it wasn't like i published it nationally somewhere you know i mean it's but then i and then uh, you know like people will call me up and say can you do my farm can you and so i, I even though i do wildlife and, and nature scenes that that's really uh, my forte is working with structures like that, hmm. buildings and things. I love doing buildings. And, uh, yeah. Well, that's cool to have, especially because, I mean, that's part of what you grew up with in the, in the farm. That's, yes, yeah. That's your, it's in you in a lot right. of ways. Right, and it feels like it's like a little bit of, you know, I, I'm preserving something mm-hmm. for the future, mm-hmm. and I am giving somebody something they enjoy. And um, it, it doesn't come without stress because they usually want you, can you do this and can you do that? Can you put it there? And it's like, it's not technically correct. You know, there's certain mm-hmm. 
sort of rules you follow in art, you know, the, the way you arrange things and that. And so sometimes it makes me like, I don't want to do that. I, it's just, you know, it's not going to be right in that, but, but they, this is what they want. Mm-hmm. And so you do that because that's, Commissions. That's yeah. That's yeah. not for me to to say. Um, ah, oh, this bar needs to be moved over here. We need to put this tree here. So you just just go with that. <laughs> well, and it's probably special too if they have certain memories of the farm. And oh yeah, because you're capturing do... it for them. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, I did one for a woman. Um, gosh, I, I uh, that was my last painting I I did before I went into my books, mm. and it was a, a farm. Uh, I think it was in West Virginia, and she lived up here, of course, and so she had me paint this. Farm. That was another one that I wouldn't have done it that way, but, but I had to capture it the way she would see it when mm-hmm. you know for her, and uh, and that then after that I started writing my my book. Yeah. Uh, what was the and your first book was Rum Run Rum Run and mm-hmm. a local history about um, actual mm-hmm. events that took place up on Lake Erie right here like Vermilion, Sandusky, Fort Clinton, Avon Lake. Um, it's very new. It's because quite what, interesting. <laughs> it was really good. It, it was well, and it not that's with strange truth of strangers in fiction. Mm-hmm, some of the mm-hmm. stuff like it was like I can't put that in. Nobody will buy that. <laughs> there was some really wild, st- and I think it's. I started out is because my grandfather worked on the Good Time, which was the, the original oh. cruise ship back mm-hmm. in the the twenties and thirties. It was a great big cruise ship that went back and forth from Cleveland to Cedar Point. And mm-hmm. then, um, then like on weekends, evenings, it would go across the lake like a party ship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, this is during Prohibition. <laughs> and and don't let anybody kill you. If you, you wanted a drink, you could get a drink yeah, yeah. during Prohibition. <laughs> Everybody pretty much was the most law abiding person was breaking the law. <laughs> and it was interesting. And I kind of give that when I do in my programs, why law abiding people broke the law then. But my grandfather worked on the ship and he said that they, he told my dad, he wouldn't tell us kids this because as kids, we were, you walked the line. This is on my mom's side, grandfather's side. And, he, and uh, uh, so he told my dad that that's what they did on the good time. They hauled alcohol from Canada over in, <laughs> in, in the ship's, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, it's like, Oh, my grandfather, but he, you know, it wasn't like my grandfather was an individual run around. He says, that's what the ship, it was, I don't know if the captain knew about it. I don't know if these were just the deckhands. I have no idea. Cause I don't, I don't want to say anybody's involved that, that was not involved, but anyway, it's just that that's what he said. They were kind of smuggling. And, uh, and I got thinking, what if, what if my grandpa was a full blown, you know, and so that, and then I started reading about rum running because first of all, I'm thinking of my grandfather. Oh my God, I can't believe he did something like that. It broke the law. <laughs> you know, you're like, well, he was such a, you know, such an upstanding guy. And, and so I got looking into it and wow, all those stories mm-hmm. I started reading about. And I started reading about how the local fishermen were doing it to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like Al Capones and purple gangs. It was guys. Like you know, working for fish companies, regular and people, regular people mm-hmm. trying to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the first half of prohibition, it was pretty much that before organized crime started taking over. And so that was my inspiration. Is like this was going on out in our lake. These coast guard chases and these gangsters coming to. <laughs> and I was like, I, you know, I thought this was stuff that happened in Chicago. And I thought, well, I, I'm going to tell this story for myself. Mm-hmm. And and then it, it became because. 
people said realized that this was our history here. It is. We it had is. the Purple Gang right here in Lorraine, mm -hmm. and and uh, yep. a guy uh, actually had his, uh, a bullet hole in his stomach that he liked to show people because um, <laughs> yeah. they he was selling uh, alcohol that was hijacked from the Purple Gang. Now the Purple Gang, just to let you know, they were worse. Al Capone left them alone because they're psych yeah. psychotic killers. They, they were, were just—they mm. were like the worst of the worst. Mm -hmm. yeah, they just like to kill, <laughs> and they did not negotiate or anything. They just hijacked your liquor. They didn't actually run run themselves, but they hijacked it. Well, somebody hijacked it from them, so they went all around like Detroit and Toledo, and they're looking for who did. They found it some in Lorraine being sold at a bar in the in you know Lorraine right on Broad Street, and they didn't. They just looked at it. Saw the label and shot the guy. I mean, they didn't even talk to him. Like, where did you get it? And just shot. Well, then years, years later, like in the '60s, this gangster that shot him comes back, and the same guy's working at the bar. And the guy, and he walks in, and he looks at the the gangster, and he goes, oh, "You're the guy that shot me." Oh and and the gangster didn't apologize. He just said, "Well, you're lucky you're not dead." <laughs> and he said, "Never apologize. Never said nothing." Mm. It was just. And it was that, so he loved to tell that story. Oh. And, and so <laughs> it's yeah, part so, of the history. Yeah, it's unique and yeah, kind it's just, of crazy. Oh, it just and so that's I think why I was so blown away what what I mm -hmm. found out was happening up on the lake that and right here in Vermilion, Sandusky, you know, and people. I mean, the stories can go on. I mean, you could write book after book after book in oh, this yeah. area. What's what's happened? So that that's how that's my first book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you don't think about those big things like prohibition, how it would be on a small scale and something like in Lorraine mm -hmm. or Grafton in this community, yes. but it is here. Like it, you know, yeah, right here. Happen. The guy in Grafton told me there was a cave where they hid, hid things up in Vermilion. They said there was a bear that guarded um, people would run rum would, would, would put this in as like a cave and they put a bear in front of it to, in a cave to, to keep that nobody would. <laughs> nobody would get no, you know. I suppose with the purple game, they would have shot the bear, but. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. And, um, uh, there's a, a man, he lives, I think he, I think he's in Belden. He used to work for the Eaton Township. I can't remember what his role was in Eaton Township. This is back, like, I talked to him maybe 10 years ago. He the, he has a car with a, a Model A with the top cut off. And he's the one that told me, do you know why a true rum runner cut the top? Because in the wintertime, they ran across the, the lake in cars. Some of them put skis on the front of them. And he says, do you know why a, a guy that knows what he's doing has the top of it cut, cut off? And I'm like, I'm going to find out, you know? And he says, because when the went through the ice, it fell through the ice by, you know, oh, you accidentally, can <laughs> you can get out get real out. quick instead of trying to go through the window and drowning. And I'm th and he has that, a car that was used in this. He's got it right locally. Hmm. So it's it's just neat, the stuff stories. And that's how that happened. <laughs> Are you working on a second book? Uh, yes. It's a Civil War book. And it's basically about, it's a twofold book. And it's about um, how f I, I'm how I went to find my ancestors. I was told that was buried on South Mountain in a battle. He was buried there, so I went to find him. And when I got there to, to find to look for his grave, there was no graves on South Mountain. So I went down to Antietam National Battlefield Center, started talking to them, and here they moved these bodies off the site into the National Cemetery in Sharpsburg. So I went there to Sharpsburg to find him, and could not find him there. And of course, I had a lot of proof to show them that he was killed there. Um, he, uh, 
and uh, there was initials. I had a wrong regiment, but there was initials. And and that I told the, that Vietnam veteran that yeah. I talked about mm-hmm. earlier, mm-hmm. he was uh, a volunteer at Antietam, and he overheard me talking about this, and he kind of like really got excited about helping me find the soldier. And so it, the story is, my story is, I tell the story of, my grandfather telling me about Hiram, and and then I go and start looking to see who this Hiram is, and I find out he's a very popular fiddle player. So I kind of take that and I go back in time, and then I start the story off with you know with him playing the fiddle at an event, and I take you and what I my purpose is and why it's taking so long because <laughs> everybody's like where's that book <laughs> is because I'm detailing it. It's like a documentation, but I'm telling it as a story. And so it can be interesting and not dry. But I'm documenting every this his movement from the farm to that mountaintop. And I'm making it like, and I just expanded on its own because these books sometimes will take on a life of their own to include some other members of Eaton Township because they had some fast, this bond they had. And so you go from their basic training and you follow them and how they're so enthusiastic, like, ah, we want to go, you know, you know, get right into the, 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 the fire. And, and then you follow what happened. And then when at the end, then my story takes up again when I go looking for him on the mountaintop and what I, uh, what I had to go through to get him a stone. Um, so which was an eight-year process. and <laughs> But you just you just have to be dogged. I think, you know, if anybody can do that, <laughs> what they did, I, I think it's pretty easy, my job. <laughs> and so that's what my story is going to be. So it's going to be kind of like uh, something for, like this one group from the DAR was saying, it'll be like a, a, a genealogy roadmap for people to follow, how to do something. But it also will be for reenactors and people who love the Civil War to be immersed in exactly what it's like to be standing right next to these guys mm-hmm. and going through what they, they go through. It's taking so long because um, everything has to be right. True. And, and at the, the beginning of the war, things weren't the same as what they were later in the war. So you have to apply things differently, like the uniforms and, and that. And just like the other day when I was writing, I just wanted to say dismissed, troops dismissed. And you can't say they didn't say that back then. So I, I heard that because I, I attend, gosh, we've attended reenactments since, oh my gosh, a long time, probably since the 80s. They will say, march on. When they want to dismiss you, march on. You know, and, that, and um, so I wanted to ver- I verify everything at least three times. So I spend like to write one sentence. You spend like you know four hours trying to find, you know, going through Hardy's tactics and Casey's tactics to say how how do you move these guys? And but the reenactors know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I have a lot of reenactor friends that said you know hey you know get the the basics down and then we'll go over and and give you a hand to see if you got it right or not you know so good to have that resource for people. Yes, especially it does. As, as a writer, you can then do it the way you want yeah. to. And Brownhill. Township has a great historical society. This is a plug for them. I mean, this, they have a great historical society. 40 members, and they're all, they are all, I mean, they, they just are not members on paper. They're, they're right in, they're into in it. it. Wow, they're in cool. it. And um, 
they 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 have the a lot of the reenactors that they are that are involved in, you know with civil war events and things that that will they're really anxious for the book to come out and really willing to, to lend a hand they also i should say too um their their group is restoring cemetery stones that are broken like from the seven, the 17 1800s oh, really? and they want to help our group to restore our cemetery stones here but like I said, there's just four of us, <laughs> and it's a big, heavy, hard job, and um, and they're willing to come here um, because there's a certain way you have to do it. You just can't super glue stones no, together or, or use Bondo or that. A little more complicated yeah. than that. <laughs> and, and to preserve them. I would like to say, though, if you go to a cemetery, don't do rubs because rubs will destroy the stones. Some people go there, and, and I know they have good intentions when they do rubs, but they don't realize that that it wears away the names and the dates yeah. and be respectful. Don't take things off graves. <laughs> That's a big thing that you put stuff on the graves and then they steal it. It's just like, yeah, I got to wonder what kind of person would do that. That's kind of creepy. That's a little strange. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's my latest project and it is taking a while. I'm probably, well, I know I got an easy 200 pages done. Um, and right now I'm in the battle sequence and that you move slow because I'm not a reenactor and I've never been in the service. So, um, to move troops and use the, per, the correct, uh, orders. And I have to chug through real slow and try to relearn how to do this, uh, you know, teach myself. Um, so I can, my dad was an expert on world war two. He could look at something in a movie and said, that's not right the way his button is, you know, <laughs> and he was right. People would come to him to have him look at equipment and things and, you know, give them, he, he was just, a, and so, I, or when he'd read a book. And so I always, when I write, I think there's a guy out there like dad <laughs> and he's going to know. And that's how I try to be really careful, dot all my I's and cross my T's. Oh, I don't blame you because you're right. <laughs> yeah. And, and what's the point? And to me, it's like, what's the point of writing this book? if I'm not going to be dead on accurate. I mean, because I'm trying to document right down to the weather. It's what, your mission. What, yes, it's a, it's a mission. It's a, this is my passion. This mm -hmm. book here, this is something that has been with me since I was 16 years old when I found his diary. That's how I started it. It was, I found his diary. And um, well, so... Well, I'll definitely be looking forward to that one. I, yeah. Because you've told me about that for years yeah, now. Yeah, I told like, everybody oh. that for years. Like, I, I'm like, I like this idea. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing what this comes out. Yeah, I'm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's like, but it, it if you're time. expecting this giant, <laughs> thick Bible of a book, it's like, it's not going to be. It's just that the procedure is so long. Like I said, I, I, I want to get it right down to the weather. You know, if it's pouring rain and thundering, because that's this, and the send off is, was just. I think what blew me away about this is the amount of crowds that would turn up for these guys to see him off. Right here, which is this was Rawsonville at that time, at the Rawsonville station. And, and I mean, people were just rah, 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 and these guys and sending him off and the hanky and just, and everywhere, you know, I just, when they were traveling to get, go down to where they, south, they would pass like these little um, crossings. And in the crossings, there would be people gathered knowing this train was going to go through, and this is for the Union side, and they would be standing there waving and cheering these guys on. And, of course, these guys are feeding off of this, mm -hmm. you know, until the, until they get in between the, the proverbial, you know, what and sweat, <laughs> and learn that maybe it's not all 
fun and games, you know. You, so, but yeah, that's that's my uh, that's been the book that's been. I have some others in me, but right now I got to get this one out. But this this book has showed me some other stories that are like, oh my gosh, I got to tell this story too, you know. It feeds off of each other, you know. Yeah, one, inspires one something else. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. that's incredible. Yeah. What's the research process look like? Because you mentioned going to historical societies and looking at your ancestors' diary. What else are you piecing together? Um, what I when I do research, I, I do um, archive old newspapers. I love reading the newspapers because that's like real time. It's right, and it's like you're getting the real feel of things. Of, you know, it might be biased, <laughs> but it's still, it still it puts you right at that time. Um, I prefer to read that over um, nonfiction books. I prefer to actually look for letters, diaries, like I said, the newspapers, anything from that era. That's that's what I use basically as my for researching and any and anything I'm writing, because uh, I I don't want to be influenced by what this what this person says might not be right. So that's why I like to to fish that out on my own, and I always make sure I, I do at least three backup sources to make sure this is, I don't accept everything at face value. And that's kind of, my dad used to say, when I study something, I study it up, down, sideways, and through. <laughs> and that's why I take forever. <laughs> but, but, he, but he says, you know, but then you know what you're talking about then. And, and but yet it, you know, it's, it keeps you really slow. <laughs> I, I would consider that a compliment. He said at the time, I didn't know what he, you know, like, does he mean I'm just too thorough but but then he said no it's that's that's a good thing yeah and my and basically is my dad was the one too that helped me become a writer because he used to he told me i says what do i do dad because my art was taking off really great and yet i had this desire to write and he says well you know he, he felt that writing that he knew my passion for history and he said that uh that he felt that i could reach so many more people with my stories than i could with my artwork and I thought, well, that wasn't my main motivation to do it, but my motivation to write was his belief in me that I could do it, and which was great to have someone believe that you can do this. And because um, it's when you first step off to write something, you think, where's my star? How am I going <laughs> to do this? What am I talking about? But I, I've been real lucky because I've never had that blank page, you know, the the writer's block. Because to me, when I write, and you ask like the process. I, you know, you go, you kind of like implode on yourself. You go down to that place where you got to go, whether it's art or writing for me. And when I get down there, then I start. And when I start, I can, it's almost like a movie playing in my head and I'm recording the movie is what I'm doing. So I don't do outlines and I try not, what I think I'm going to do, my characters will do something else and they always do it for the better. It always like, you know, you think, well, I'm going to head in this direction. Like in Rum Run, this is what the story is. And my one character that uh, turned out to be a very likable character, a lot of people like this character. He was actually going to be this really bad, sleazy guy. Oh, really? But when he got when I got writing it, he decided, I'm not going to be this bad, sleazy guy. I'm going to be this likable bad guy. And and pe people come up to me and say, oh, I really like that guy. Blah, blah, blah. And same with um, the wife in the story. She was going to be this mealy mouth little, you know, not mealy mouth, but she's going to be one of these little, you know, housewife type. I'm not knocking housewives. That's terrible. But... Um, she was this different introverted, kind of like an introvert, yeah, yeah. And, and she was going to live vicariously through the main character, like, what is he doing? Um, and all of a sudden, it's like, I saw writing her, and it's like she just said, I'm not being this kind of character. I am a strong woman. 
of the Roaring Twenties. I am not going to be, you know, and, and and so that became her character. So it's it's interesting how your your characters can determine. I've never heard that before because that is definitely not what those characters are like. No, no, they said, yeah. What, huh. Like I said, so I've learned to kind of like, all right, go with it. Let's, go with it. Yeah, yeah, if you're talking, I'm listening. You <laughs> know. So, yeah. Let the characters do their yeah. thing and, and go with it. And this is happening with this story, too. I get the same thing with, with Hiram. I was like, no, this is this is, this is is how I am. This is, this is, and so I listen to to whatever that is, you know, that channeling or whatever you want to call it is, and they, and you just, and, and it's always, they're always right. They're always right from what I'm going to do. In fact, one of the characters in the book, the Civil War book, he had a bar right down here in Grafton, downtown oh, yeah. Grafton, right on Main Street. Yes, after the war. One of the many. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one, yeah. Which which bar? <laughs> yeah, that's the question. I know. I think. <laughs> see what I said about prohibition? Yeah. I mean, it's like, <laughs> that was definitely doomed. Oh yeah, that <laughs> was wasn't gonna work in Grafton. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, come between an American and his. No. <laughs> <laughs> What's one thing that you want people to know about local history? Mm -hmm. I mean, our our goal with this podcast is to kind of share these stories in our community. And I'm just curious what you want people to know. Hmm. These are real people. They're just not names. They had the same probably desires you had, the same fears. You're you're really not experiencing anything different than what they experienced. Um, there's so many similar similarities. In fact, I, I feel we can learn by looking back on how they did things, what they did wrong or what they did right, that we can grow from. I think that's really important in that aspect is to be able to see that, uh, to apply it to us. I mean, you know, without that grounding, I think you're just kind of floating out there. Uh, to me, it would seem, uh, and I think I think that's why genealogy is so big right now. People wanting to know their roots is because that they're shocked by what they find, and they see that wow, these are like I said, these are people like me, and they're going through the same thing I want. I mean, look at the Spanish flu. The I mean, I had to research the Spanish flu in order to write Rum Run because I mentioned that in the book, and it's like you're you're seeing that same fear, that same. Uh, what what do I do? How do I fix this? Uh, people, uh, that one, there was, was a town out west. They decided they completely closed off their town. I can't think of the name of the town. Uh, it's a small, you know, it was on a dirt road. And they decided they completely would not allow anybody to stop at their town during the Spanish flu um, because they tried wanted to keep it out of the town. And the only one that would come in was the mailman. Well, guess what? He brought the Spanish flu into the town, even though he was like laying it down on the porches and stuff. So the question is, how did they get that? Was it the mail? Did it come in on the mail he was handling? Was he talking to somebody? Was it, did he touch something, then they touch something? You know, it's like, you know, so it makes you wonder with this present pandemic and how it spreads, you know, how, how does it compare? You know, because to me, it's like, well, if he's, I'm sure they didn't wear masks back then. I don't know. Maybe they did. People were trying to take precautions, whatever they could. Like I said, like isolating their towns and that. So how did this mailman bring that in? It, it, you know, this this town is out in the middle of nowhere. 
I mean, there, there's, it's not like it can carry on the breeze. And so it, it definitely they, they tied it to him. What did he do? Did he spit on somebody when he was talking? Did, like I said, or was it the male? And so it's like something you have to think about. Now, so knowing that, I made me really paranoid about packages and mail. <laughs> Just leave them up there for 24 hours, and then I'll, then I'll come out with my my hazmat suit and bring them. <laughs> but that is what those that history tells us, I suppose. Is, yeah, and that's why it's important to exactly. That's I think too, and also humanizes it. it, it it's just like a, a neat feeling to think. For me, it's kind of fun to go back in time in a safe way, like a time machine. Um, you know, you don't have to worry about a knight slicing your head off, or you know, or, or like Spanish flu, or you know, or you know. So it's it's a neat way to travel back in time, and and. You know, kind of like reading a book. Uh, you know, it's, that's how I look at it too. It's like, wow, that's really something. That, that's, I think. So I, there is, an, I think, an importance. Like I said, so we don't repeat, we don't repeat history, because, like I said, I see history being repeated an awful lot. Yeah, <laughs> it, does, it does seem to. So hopefully, hopefully, yeah. people can listen to like podcasts like this and yeah, yes. learn something new. Learn something like, from oh. the people that went before you. you you're here. Because of their trials and tribulations yeah. and what they learned, and in anthropology, you take the best and you know you come forward with it. So if you forget these lessons, you're kind of doomed, I believe. I mean, you might make it; you'll struggle and make it, but you're going to struggle more. It'll be way harder than it should be. Exactly, that's the thing. So this way, um, take heed from the people who went before you and carp kind of paved your way for you. I think that's the and don't. Don't act like you, you know you're the you know cream of the yeah. you know, because you, when you start reading, there's so many people that did things that were so amazing that make you look so small. And I'm very humbled uh, by these people, what they what their accomplishments were and what they did and what they endured. It makes me feel like I have a very soft life, which I'm very grateful to. Yeah. It's because of them. Yeah, because of all their hard work. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. they, yeah, they did right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is there any final thoughts you'd like to share with us? Hmm. Try to, you know, if you get time, and I can understand time constraints because my life was the same way. Like finding time to write is can be very difficult. Mm -hmm. I have a very, uh, interruptions and timelines make it very, you have to struggle to do that. Especially because people, when they see your work out of your home, they don't think that counts as work. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, hour and a half phone calls just dropping in to see you and it's like this is where i work but um get, try to get involved at some point just a little bit to, to learn about your community and and the people that were in it before you it's very humbling to learn and i, I think it would it'll make you a more rounded person um to just it makes you forget maybe the troubles you're having now you know you like we're facing like i said you look back in time and you'll see well that's how I look at it. Well, they survived this. They went through the. I mean, they. I mean, let's 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 face it. Our ancestors probably lived during the bubonic plague, <laughs> and sure. and other hardships and wars. And each time we crawl out of it and we become better. So that's the thing to take away is you know, I think would be is to learn that we're just to persevere. Mm -hmm. I think it was that was it outlaw Josie Wells for the. 
the Native American says, endeavor to persevere. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to movie quotes better than I am talking <laughs> normal. <laughs> well, then, thank you very much for being here and sharing with us. It's always fun to talk about this stuff, isn't it? it yes, it, it is. It really is. It's... And I really appreciate what you guys are doing, recording well, history. Um you know, the world according to Garp here. <laughs> but but no, what you're doing is a great thing because um when as a person who does research, whether it's genealogy that I'm doing or writing a book, we need institutions like this. This is where we seek our information. Um, you know, call you up, hey, do you have uh, uh any history on this person that lived in your community? You know, you're stockpiling the these stories and that so somebody can come back and maybe that's the goal, yes, right? Yes. To help people in the future. And it works. And as a person that relies on this kind of stuff, I really appreciate it. I just wish more people would put things in, in their obituaries. I know it's expensive now, obituaries, because that's a great source of information. But nowadays, they're just putting it very little bit and that in there. And it's like it makes our job harder. But in the old days, they would elaborate more and... I guess that's where you guys have to that's where maybe we pick can up the ball and, and uh, see what we can do, right? And exactly. Exactly. As media changes, we can preserve it that way. Yes. So preservation. <laughs> All right. <laughs> thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, well, thank you. Telling thank my you. my side, like I said, my my wife's my world according to Garp story. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thank you to our guest, Renee Durkee-Atkinson, for joining us today and to our listeners for exploring this page of Eaton history with us. For more local history content, check out the Grafton Midview Public Library's collection online at gmplibrary.org slash localhistory. If you have a question for us or a topic you'd like us to explore on a future episode, email us at postcardsfromgrafton at gmail.com. This has been Postcards from Grafton.